0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast.
0: back with another episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. This is another CEO interview. Jeff, you had the chance to speak with Rick Grimm of NIGP, the Institute for Public Procurement.
1: I I did, and it was a really interesting conversation. I've known Rick for years now, and I've always known that he places a very high value on learning and the role that NIGP plays with the the, the group that it serves. And it's a really uh, interesting uh, Profession procurement—it's one of those things that you don't tend to, to think about. But as NIGP itself says, procurement is everywhere, and you know these are people who, uh, in local governments, in federal government, are, are making purchasing decisions day in and day out. Uh, really have an impact on the economy, and as you can imagine, um, their role has changed dramatically uh, over the past you know decade or plus uh, as new technologies have come in, and NIGP has really had to play an important role in making sure that people are learning, um, relearning, getting the educational experiences they need. And both Rick and his board and, and all of the staff take this uh, extremely seriously. In fact, they've, they've recently revamped their board to add a thought leader position uh, for learning and education, so bringing in an outsider uh, in a voting position on the board to help guide them as they go forward. So they're, they're very serious about this. Um, we talk a, just a little bit about that, uh, and then um, you know, also touch on some of the collaborations that NIGP has with academia, and, and then just in general about Rick's vision for learning and education and the role that NIGP needs to play going forward.
0: Well, I haven't yet had the good fortune to meet Rick in person, but I I do know his colleague, Carol Hodes, the Executive Director of Knowledge Management at NIGP. She's very uh, smart and funny and fun, and we're lucky because she's serving uh, as uh, an advisor to the Leading Learning Symposium.
1: Yeah, Carol is about as sharp as they come. Um, We are extremely fortunate to have her involved in advising for the symposium and and participating uh, in the symposium, so really looking
0: forward to that. All right, well, enough of our banter. Let's get on to your conversation with Rick Grimm.
1: Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Rick Grimm, who is the CEO of NIGP, the Institute for Public Procurement. Rick, welcome to Leading Learning.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Look, looking forward to the conversation.
1: Well, I'm I'm really excited to have you here because I I know you are an organizational leader who is really focused on learning, focused on education. It's playing a big part in how you're thinking about your organization going forward. But um, but before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about the organization. You know, who is NIGP? Who do you serve? What do you do for them?
2: Sure. So NIGP is a um, institute uh, been around for now seventy years. We celebrated our seventieth uh, anniversary uh, l- uh, just a couple months ago. and uh, our role really is to develop support and promote uh, public procurement uh, both domestically and globally. and um, by doing that, we uh, basically are serving uh, all levels of public sector uh, from federal down to state and local, and local would include special taxing districts like school districts, uh, higher ed, uh, special water utilities, electrical utilities, etc. And uh, we represent about 3,000 public agencies which then translates to about 15,000 individuals. And it's really those individuals that become the benefactors of that service to develop, support, and promote. And that's kind of the cornerstone uh, of uh, what we do as an organization. And certainly is is part of our strategy and our mission.
1: And I'm I'm sure that uh, folks who are involved in public procurement are, uh, like anybody else, not immune from uh, the the great amount of change that has simply been going on in our world technologically and and otherwise over the you know the past couple of decades or so. Um, and, I, and I know from talking to you that, uh, you know, you've come to the conclusion, you personally and, and your board, that, you know, really focusing in on um, learning uh, and, and education as part of your strategy going forward, and not that it hasn't been part of the strategy before, but I think there's, you know, even, a, even more emphasis going forward, is incredibly important. So could, could you, you know, tell listeners a little bit about... What is your vision for learning for the the audience that you serve, and 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 then you know how does it fit into the the overall value proposition of NIGP as an organization?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. I mean, uh, for those of you who are not very familiar with public procurement, when you think about public spend, uh, it's four point three trillion dollars in wow. public spend, and we think that that you know all of that's federal and defense, but actually. Uh, slightly more than half of that is state and local government. So you have a tremendous amount of spend that happens with public tax dollars, and then you translate that to well, how do you how do you create a prepared workforce so that people coming out of colleges and universities go through uh, a procurement curriculum or a public procurement curriculum, and they're ready uh, to serve the cities and counties and federal government. The reality is, with that low level of spend there is literally no clear pathway for a young professional to say i want to make a difference i want to make a contribution uh to the to the communities that i live in and i want to be a public procurement professional uh so so what has happened to us over the years because of that lack of of uh, of, uh formal educational process that happens in higher ed by default nigb has been the developer of the body of knowledge uh, that uh, becomes part of the, you know, the theoretical underpinnings of a prepared workforce. Mm-hmm. Because we're always doing it behind the curve because people come in with everything from, you know, an English degree or maybe they have a business management degree, and then they have to go through that whole kind of reorientation about how is it different in the public sector? What are some of the goals that the public sector has in terms of of uh, providing good government to its citizenry? Uh, And and so that really has been our vision is to kind of be the stopgap over the years by providing that body of knowledge. But the new vision really is twofold. One is to shift uh, what we have been doing as an association to the university, to the higher ed level, by creating uh, greater, more intentional partnerships with academic communities uh, so that we begin to look at curriculum being offered particularly within uh, within the context of a public administration degree uh, so that you had a not, not only an understanding of procurement, but HR, uh, macro finance, etc. And then for us to shift from uh, preparing the workforce to continually, as you mentioned, the dynamics that happen in the public sector, uh, the environment continues to change, the technology continues to change, the environment, the demands continue to change, and so our vision really is to provide that lifelong learning experience for the practitioner once they have come out of the university level.
1: So you're kind of, you're kind of reaching back into uh, that college and university level and making sure that the preparation is maybe better there than it has been in the past, but then like you're saying, you know, once they get out, I mean, most people, as I say, are facing another 50 years once they're out in the workforce. You're, you're making sure that you are kind of that dynamic force for learning as they then roll forward?
2: Exactly. So you know, a couple of the pieces that we have realized is, one, there, there isn't that groundswell in the university, so we need to fix that. Mm. Uh, and, and, and then secondly, we, we do support a, a certification program that really kind of is a, a, a good uh, benchmark for individuals to understand the mastery of knowledge. But what has happened in our profession is that folks have said, once I got my professional certification, I stopped learning. Of course, my response is, the, the the day that you stop learning is the day that you're pushing the daisies up. Mm-hmm. Until then, I mean, you're talking about the 40 or 50 years that someone is a public servant, even 30 years that they're a public servant, if they get that certification program done in the first five or seven years of their career, what happens to the next 23? If they don't continue to learn, they actually fall further and further behind. Right. So that really has to be our, as you say, the kind of the value proposition is not only having uh, people in a prepared workforce but continually providing that higher end skill that they need in order to maintain uh, you know the, the the level of of um, of service that they're providing in the public sector
1: right right and, and this kind of reverberates throughout our entire economy really given the the role that proc- procurement plays you know as you were highlighting earlier, just i mean there are the the, the the amounts of money uh at stake here um so this is a, an incredibly important role i would say for you to to be playing how do, how does it fit with other things that nigp does i mean when you look at uh like i, I don't know how much um you know, you know advocacy lobbying type work you do other other uh types of value that you provide to your members where does learning fit into that portfolio in, in your mind
2: right so um Education has always been the cornerstone. Uh, I shouldn't say always been because the company, the institute was formed in '44, and the first time that we saw curriculum being developed was in the 1970s. So there was about a Mm. 25 to 30 year gap, almost half of our history, where where education was not the focus. Uh, But 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 that actually became part of developing. Curriculums internally within the context of of NIGP because it wasn't being handled elsewhere but when we when we think about the role of a, of a board or a co it's it's to be mission uh, mission uh, focused and making sure that the strategies align with that mission. So when we talk about develop, supporting, and promoting public procurement, mm-hmm. developing and supporting are the two anchors that deal with professional development and lifelong learning, particularly development. But, but part of supporting is continuing to provide that education, looking at the research to see what will you need to know in the next five to ten years uh uh in terms of the direction of this profession and then how do we prepare you mm-hmm. so that's both supporting and developing that procurement professional uh, uh in in that next phase of the journey i mean the, the procurement particularly public procurement is uh is is very much task driven it's got a series of steps to make sure that the transparency is there that you're doing things following regulations and back in, even in the 80s and 90s, all of that was very paper intensive. And you see how technology uh-huh. has changed the way in which we do business. There's no longer requisitions flowing with, you know, 7,000 signatures. That's all done electronically. Uh, contract administration management is done electronically, payables done electronically. So if a pro- public procurement practitioner Learned the paper way of, uh, of doing things and is not kept to speed and in terms of how the technology, how leveraging technology can make them more efficient. They're actually working behind. Yeah. So that's really is our 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 role is to make sure that we continue to hone in on the new skills that folks need in order to be successful in the workplace.
1: Yeah, I, I imagine with technology, there just has been a huge amount of change. Now, you you mentioned in there um, not only your role but the role of the board um, and I. I you know, do a lot of work with boards. Some I find are, you know, somewhat intransigent when it comes to thinking about the, the type of change that, uh, that they're describing. But in many cases these days, I find that boards are actually ahead of the curve. They're, they're often the ones pushing the organization to, to do more with education, with learning, with technology. How, what was the role of your board in this?
2: Well, I, our role really was to make sure that the board understood how that whole development phase anchored again in the mission. Mm -hmm. How that is evolving, Uh, we have traditionally used kind of a face-to-face or in-person environment, uh, sending uh, individuals to a classroom setting. It could be local, but it could require some traveling uh, uh, requirements to get to uh, a major metropolitan center to, to go through that that education, we realized a couple things uh, with that, although that was uh, a very effective approach, a very traditional approach to education, that we needed to look at how uh, people are learning differently and how they want to be more engaged uh, utilizing uh, technology through distance learning. So working through the board and having them understand that if the strategic uh, initiative is to grow that opportunity for people to continually be on a lifelong learning path, that that can happen through a variety of vehicles, again, traditional classroom setting, or it has to be mirrored within the context of a distance learning environment. We've also learned that... um, it, even even though you go to distance one of the reasons why we've gone to distance learning and, and put an emphasis on that is because um uh, and I, this has happened uh, across all sectors but particularly in the public sector two thousand two uh, two thousand and eight nine and ten and even in eleven were very unfavorable they were crisis economic crisis periods of time uh where you didn't have any money to send folks to training now money has gotten a little bit better as economy the economy has improved. But one thing that has not improved is the time that folks have to travel one day to get to a class, to be three days out of the office to attend the class, and then get back to the office. They are time starved. So, distance learning, where you're doing it from your desktop, whether it's at, uh, within the context of your, your normal work day or in the evenings or on weekends, really provides a greater opportunity to plant that, uh, that availability to learn but giving it through a, you know, a variety of medias. So the board has been very, very focused on how do we do this uh, from a strategic uh, standpoint so that we look at all methods of delivery to get to that end goal of making sure that we continue to develop the, prof- uh, the procurement professional.
1: And if you identified you know, particular areas, particular formats, um, uh, just ways in which you plan to, to innovate um going forward? I mean to the extent that you're you know able to, to share that kind of inside information?
2: Well I think that the, the one thing that we've picked up um is that the delivery the the results of the delivery have to be fairly consistent. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I think that sometimes folks have thought when we when we are particularly applying uh distance learning that you could just kind of put uh uh, uh, text up uh, in an ebook. You can do a click and turn, and the person is going to learn the same way that they did when they were interacting with their peers and with an instructor in the classroom. And that's actually not the case, you know. And and, and all the literature points to that as well. That uh, a, a social framework that allows people uh, to say, Hey, how do you, how have you done it in the city of or the county of? and you learn from that interaction, that's also going to be built in the context of a distance learning environment that is not a click and turn. With that means that the way in which you are delivering through distance learning has to be as robust, if not even more robust and intentional, because it's more difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also have to make sure that, your um your your student the participant who's taking this class understands that the level of effort to take a distance learning uh, class could even be greater than Showing up for three days in Cincinnati and sitting in a classroom and, and having conversations because it's a lot more intentional.
1: Right, right. And, and what is, I mean, have you played a role at all in, in terms of you know, getting out there and, and, and helping your members understand that? And um, uh, in, in, I guess, and you know, leading your staff in, in a way that's going to help them build the, 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 the skills. I mean, I guess, what's your role as a leader in kind of making sure that people do in, embrace these new ways of learning and, and are going to get you know, the same or more value? out of it.
2: Right. So you're absolutely right, Jeff. You've got to educate not only your board on how this is the same, but how it is different and how it is mission-centric, but you also have to uh, educate your members on how distance learning is going to be probably more intense, uh, but a greater experience. Part of that is education, so one of the things that we've done on our website is we've we've uh, asked them, that's the member of the question. Do you think you're ready for a distance learning environment as opposed to a face-to-face? And we've kind of built a little little template in there where you we ask them about 10 or 15 questions. Interesting. And <laughs> that basically will come back and say, yeah, you actually the, the distance learning is going to work for you, or it says eh, you don't know if this is the right fit for you because in distance learning X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And people have actually taken that, and it has helped them understand their expectations. And is, is the other part is,
1: I was going to say, is that something that's publicly accessible, or do you have to be? That's what, in? Yeah, it's right. It's
2: right on. The, I believe it's on the NHB website okay. uh, on the on the public side. Yes, because it's we have an area on professional development, and you'll find it there. I'll
1: make sure we put uh, that up. Then. Yeah, great.
2: Sure. the the other The other uh, uh, the other piece uh, it deals with uh, testimonials. Mm and so we have uh, gleaned a lot of information from our students who have taken a long distance class and they have said almost 100 percent of the time hey this was a lot harder than i thought it was going to be and i learned so much more uh so education is not an easy process it's not a quick uh, rote and then i'm finished uh it is it's the application of the knowledge into a practical experience that's going to make a difference in, uh, in the environment that they serve. This is actually where where public procurement, and I think even in public sector, is a little unique. Because when you're in class, whether it's digitally or in a, in a face-to-face setting, people in the public ser- sector are willing to share both the shortcomings and the successes because the person next to them is not a competitor. Mm-hmm. Unlike in the private sector right. you, you you could be working for Ford Motor Company, and the procurement agency next to you works for g m and Having that conversation quite honestly about how procurement is done and not done and successes and failures is a little a little bit more uncomfortable, but in the public sector. Uh, we, we share all the warts, uh, and, and I actually think that dynamic makes education uh, a, a greater experience in terms of sharing knowledge, sharing experiences, because that's part of that, that process. It is not just regurgitating, uh, you know, the ten principles of a public procurement uh, RFP. Uh, it is which ones have the most practical uh, relevancy to the work I'm doing.
1: Yeah, that, that is an interesting uh, distinction, the, the public-private one there, um, and, I, and I, I think it probably does, as you're saying, help help fuel the social interchange that I know has been important to, to how you think about education there. As as we're starting to to, to wrap up here, I want to switch gears um, a, a little bit and maybe you know kind of draw back to sort of the the higher big picture level and and, and talk about associations in general. Um, you know. It, obviously providing continued education and professional development is a, is a key role that associations play in our society and our economy. And, and in fact, I've, I've often described associations as being kind of a, a third uh, leg of our education sector. But, you know, it's, it's not a foregone conclusion at, at this point that the associations are going to be capable of maintaining that role. I mean, certainly there are, there are a huge number of new choices out there. Competition is growing. So I I'd love to get your perspective um, as an association leader, um, I mean, what do associations and, and their leaders need to be doing to ensure that they that they maintain the, the leadership role they've traditionally had in in lifelong learning?
2: Yeah, assuming that that, that has been the traditional role, it's very important for associations to understand how this part of our delivery has really been transformed through technology mm. because education is so mu- is so easy to obtain, you know, through a variety of channels, uh, good or bad. And so I think the key is that if it has been a strategy, a priority of the organization, continue to assess how you're going to support that strategy. Um, What I find is that oftentimes... Uh, associations are really not putting the kinds of resources that they need in, it in order for it to be effective mm-hmm. uh... And, and that's not only uh... capital resources in terms of uh... buying technologies and making the technology robust and meaningful to the client when they're logging on or or where they're going to a class but also the human capital uh... so um, you know how are you supporting that either through your uh, your existing staff Or contracting, uh, through a a third party to help you deliver that service. A lot of times we disconnect strategy from resource. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you, if you uncouple those, you're going to get trouble because you're probably going to make it a strategy, but you're not, you can't, you can't make that commitment to identify the resources in order to make it effective. So quite honestly, you put a less than professional product out there and it really affects the image and the credibility that your organization has, so you've got to couple of those two together. Uh, I think the the other piece is uh, you know you, we talk about competition uh, competition is not the worst thing in the world because sometimes you can compete with uh, collaborate with your competitors. The worst thing I think associations do is that they think they need to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my my encouragement is to avoid redundancy. So if you have the best thing out there in terms of education, stick with it. But if the competition has developed something that you don't have, uh, spending the resources, particularly if that if the competition has something that's exceptional, rather than building resources to compete with it, talk about a collaborative mechanism where you could join forces. To provide that education, because quite honestly, the new generations coming in are are less sensitive to brands and are more sensitive to the quality and the end result that they get from the education. Uh, so I have seen so many times where uh, CEOs boards panic or oh my goodness, our competing organization over here is building it. We've got to build a better mousetrap. No, I think that you want to avoid redundancy and consider collaboration. One of the things that we've done is uh, because there's there's nuances, there's new little techniques, there are some of the soft skills that are coming in into public procurement. Rather than us building that internally, we have partnered with subject matter experts who have developed the content and are delivering the content, both in a face-to-face environment and through distance learning. And so um, we're relying on them. To, uh, to to develop that quality, to develop that courseware, and then we're co-sponsoring we're co-branding it with them, uh, rather than us spending the resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it still gets to the point of the member being able to go through a lifelong learning experience, which is actually our objective. So we did continue to think that we have to do all of this stuff in-house, and that's actually not the case. Yeah. You yeah, do have to orchestrate it,
1: though. Yeah, well, and I think that's a, a great example. I, I, I'm personally very high on collaboration um, right now, and I think what you're doing, you know, even in working with universities, because in many ways, I mean, universities are really gearing up what they're doing in, in the realm of continuing education. I mean, they've always been there, but I think they're thinking more and more about it and investing more in it and are going to be more direct competitors, I think, with a lot of associations. But I think there's just such fertile ground for collaboration with uh, y- universities among you know, a range of different partners that are out there. So it's you know, it interesting to find out at the beginning Of this, that that's something you're really focusing on. Absolutely. So so as we as we wrap up here, one thing we always like to ask uh, folks on the uh, leading learning podcast is, you know, what what are some of your own approaches to to lifelong learning? What are you know some of your lifelong learning habits?
2: Well, uh, uh, Jeff, I would say the 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 number one rule is you don't know what you don't know. So if, if you continue to evolve uh, utilizing the same data inputs into your own professional life, um, you're going to end up with the same kind of stuff that you've been doing for 10, 15 years. You've got to go out there and really ask the hard questions about what you're doing as an organization, what you're doing as a professional, continue to do the research uh, because I think, it, particularly as a CEO, your role is to help facilitate and guide your board into the right decisions. Uh, that it is a it is a partnership between the CEO and the executive staff and the board, as they work together to to implement the mission. Uh, so I've always really emphasized the the asking the hard questions, seeking out stakeholders, looking for diversity of thought. Uh, researching new approaches and innovations. As a matter of fact, uh, we've done a fair amount of work just on restructuring our governance model. We did it because we wrote a piece, we read a piece of research about relevancy of of associations in the new normal, and we said, boy, that could be us. If we don't start doing things differently and innovate and become relevant, and I think particularly to this point of education, relevancy uh, is going to be critical as a as a as a, a, a greatly competing environment uh, again with universities and other associations. how do we stay on top of that curve um, and so you have to kind of look at how you know delivery points, how you're delivering, uh, how you're leveraging technology to get it in. And I think that the, the CEO has that responsibility to continue to, you know, ask those hard questions and then share that information with the board and say, hey, we haven't thought about this. What do you think?
1: Well, great, and I know you are someone who, who does that. So, uh, Rick, it's been a, a real pleasure to to have you on, on the show here. Um, before we wrap up, um, how can folks best find out about uh, NIGP and, and possibly even follow up with you if they, they happen to have you know questions or, or just want to you know pick your brain a little bit about some of the things you've said?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, obviously, visit our website at nigp.org, O-R-G, uh quite honestly, talking about technology, uh it has some limitations. Therefore, we have invested going back to the strategy and investment, we have invested in a new uh, content management system that will come online in December. Uh so and it will be a lot more robust at that point as well. You can also reach me uh easy. It's R Grim as in Fairy Tales, R G R I M M at org Uh you know, we're here as uh as colleagues. Uh, serving associations. So uh, please ask the questions. You can get, uh, reach me on several of the uh, communities within the ASAE as well. Um, I think that's how we learn from each other, and we we always get better day by day by sharing knowledge.
1: Well, great. Well, Rick, thanks so much for taking the time to, to share your, your perspectives and insights.
2: Great. Thanks, Jeff.
0: So that wraps up the interview with Rick Grimm. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 4. That's episode and the number 4. And while you're there, you'll see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe We'd also be really grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and this really does make a difference. It makes it a lot easier for other people to find this podcast.
1: And we certainly hope a lot of people will find the podcast. So uh, in addition to doing the iTunes thing, we'd really be grateful if you'd consider telling other people about the Leading Learning podcast to do that, one very easy way uh, just to be able to send out a, a tweet is by going to leadinglearning.com share. And if you do that, it'll uh, just pop up a tweet that's already pre-filled with uh, some content for you, and all you got to do is click send to, to tweet that out to the world. If you're not into tweeting, pick another social network of,
0: of your choice
1: and just spread the word.
0: So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.